High FM Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Well, good morning and welcome to Tech Talk right here on High FM. And we're off with the Olympics. Can you believe it? But technology and sport, what a most, what a winning combination. But it's, if you haven't been watching the Olympics, or the Winter Olympics, I should say, it's time to get onto it because there is some amazing technology on display there. Not least just the sheer amount of on-screen trickery, like when you watch the skating and they simply move the people around and you can see multiple images. That's all computer-generated. It's all the latest advanced graphics. But one of the coolest, coolest things of the Winter Olympics, and if you didn't see the opening ceremony, I strongly suggest you just go and Google Drones Winter Olympics Drones Winter Olympics, and you will see and watch a couple of YouTube videos. You will see the most amazing site. Intel, along with a couple of its partners, put 1,218 drones. That's individual little drones with lights on them and little rotors, all controlled centrally by a computer. And they did the most amazing, amazing effects. They showed skaters and skiers in the air above the stadium, um, and they ended off with all these drones drones converging into the Olympic symbols, which is absolutely unbelievable to watch. And the technology in it is pretty insane. However, there was a little bit of controversy around it, and it was very simple. They pre-recorded the whole thing prior to the actual Olympics. So if you were sitting in the stadium, you didn't see the drones. Apparently the winds were too high. It wasn't conducive to the evening to for the drones to do that because it was impossible for it to adjust for those sort of winds. So what they did is they pre-recorded the whole sequence and blended it seamlessly into the opening ceremony on TV. So all us people watching the Olympic the uh, the Winter Olympics openings saw this unbelievable drone show um, at the Winter Olympics at the opening, along with the fireworks and everything else that went down. Um, but if you were there, you did not see it. You could not see it. But it is an incredible show of how you can connect all these things. And in fact, it was a Guinness World Book of Records. And it was just unbelievable. I saw a very similar show using the same technology at CES, but they had far fewer drones. Obviously, they were storing up this big, big drone show for um, the Olympics. But apparently, they had lights on there that could do a billion colors. And the, the sheer amount of technology in terms of the computer graphics and the way the whole thing was planned was absolutely spectacular. So watch the space. I think we're going to see more and more and more technology being applied to these sort of things. And there's no question that drones have become uh, an absolute phenomenon. There's a brand new drone called the DJ Pro, which uh, fits into a tiny little box um, and can give you high definition video. It can be flown from your smartphone. So drones are just a whole nother universe of technology and stuff that people don't even think about. For example, if you want to check out, you know, windows at the top of a building, you don't need to hang out out of the building anymore. You just send up a drone. If you need 
photography, all sorts of things. So drones have really become a huge part, and the, the ease of use of them and the prices dropped dramatically. So if you're interested in drones, go and have a look online, have a look what Intel did at the Winter Olympics. But the technology doesn't just stop there. It was It's really fascinating that, as promised, and this is something I think I might have mentioned on the show a couple of years ago, 5G made their debut at the Winter Olympics. Now, I've been to a few 5G demos. Now, we all know that the world is moving towards um, faster and faster Internet. We had 2G. We had 3G. 3G and 2G are dying across the world, interestingly enough. And we've had 4G, otherwise known as LTE, which is pretty much ubiquitous everywhere right now, except, funny enough, in most of rural Africa. But Everywhere you go in, in, in Johannesburg, pretty much you covered with LTE and 4G. But now the next generation, the next evolution, and in fact some people call it the revolution of connectivity, is 5G. And for the first time, this was actually up and running and working at the Winter Olympics. But here's what's so fascinating about that. It was not available to phones because um, – Qualcomm have only just, just released their 5G chipsets for the next generation of phones, which are expected sometime in 2019. So probably beginning of 2019, we'll start seeing the debut of 5G-enabled phones. So people weren't able to connect to this 5G network um, just yet. But what they used it for was to run something um which is part of the whole IoT. So they had sensors all over the area uh, near the Olympic stadiums because apparently there is a huge um, wild boar issue in that area. It's rather rural. It's up in the mountains. Um, and they've got wild boars that tend to wander into tourist areas and cause all manner of havoc. And what they've done is they've set up cameras with fast-acting systems that shoots laser rays. It doesn't kill them or hurt them or anything. It just bright lights. It also spews gases and emits tiger roars <laughs> to frighten off the the wild boars or stop them from coming into all the, the various uh, stadia and things like that. But the difference is that because of the nature of 5G, one, massive bandwidth, so they've got cameras that can see exactly what's going on. Two, very low latency. In other words, the speed that the information can flow up and down is so fast that um, they can react almost instantly to any any form of um, of you know a, no I wouldn't call it an attack, but any form of intrusion by anything. And the other thing that they're doing is they're using 360 degree images of of figure skaters and that, all connected through this 5G. And that's where that fantastic ability to show you the full surround 360 degree in real-time um, camera equipment without cables, without using radios, and using this whole new 5G technology. They're also using them for shuttle buses, which are running between stadiums. And um, those buses are fully connected. They're fully autonomous, and they have no drivers. And um, they're using 5G to co connect and communicate. And essentially, 5G is running at, at 100 times faster speeds than normal sort of Internet that we're used to. But as I said, more important than that is is that compared to anything any existing technology we have right now 5g can connect an order of magnitude more people to the network at speeds that are anywhere between 10 and 100 times faster than anything you could do now and combined with that all of this happens at far 
lower latency, which is the speed that the information gets from the device or the sensor or the camera to the server and back again. So you're talking about, again, orders of magnitude. If it took a millisecond or two or 10 or 20 to get from one place to the other right now, using 5G, they're able to do that in under a millisecond or round about a millisecond. And that makes a big difference for certain types of functions. But anyway, so... Korea was really showing off all their latest new technology, and there's no question that machines and machine and all connected machines and connected cameras and all this sort of stuff will be the things that make the biggest difference. For you and I, a new phone in 2019 with 5G capability may be interesting, may not be, but how much faster can you watch a YouTube video? How much faster can you download your email? That's not where it's at. The simple thing is that there'll be more of us out there with more phones, more tablets, more connected things everywhere. And in fact, that is the topic of our TikTok um, cafe conversation, all about IoT, all about tons and tons of sensors, cameras, you name it, all connected to the Internet simultaneously, all broadcasting, all communicating. And how will our networks, which struggle now and then just to make a normal phone call, manage all that? And the answer to that is 5G or close to 5G, 4G plus in the near future. But soon, by 2020, I can guarantee you that there will be 5G networks up and running in the urban centers of, of South Africa without a shadow of doubt. And the success from what I've heard from the guys at Samsung who are working with Intel and all these guys of these networks in uh, Korea at the Olympics has been really, really, really good. And on that note, we're going to have a quick break uh, for our uh, sponsors and we'll be back straight after that. Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose, 11 to 12 p.m. only on 101.9 IFM. Then. Welcome back. And we'll stick with the whole Olympic theme. I mean, it's very cool. The quality, interestingly enough, we're not seeing it in this country, but they are broadcasting the Olympics in full 4K HDR high definition video. And even though we're not receiving those sort of signals in South Africa, you certainly can see the quality of the picture on pretty much any TV. It's crystal clear, super sharp, and amazing, amazing effects thanks to all this new computer technology that they employing. But it's getting even more interesting than that. This is the first time that an Olympics features robots, proper robots, not the red, green, and blue that we tend to not stop at in Johannesburg. And especially in the last couple of hours with all this rain, people tend to treat our traffic lights or South African robots as mere guidelines to not going through. But anyway, that's a rant for another age altogether. But at the Winter Olympics, the whole idea of robots has changed absolutely everything. They've got robots that are cleaning at the stadiums. They've got robots that are guiding visitors in multiple languages. You stop, you talk to the robots from the airport. LG was showcasing these. Um, you stop at the airport at, and a robot approaches you and you ask it anything you want in any language you want and it answers you, directs you, guides you both verbally and through the on-screen screen. And they're doing exactly the same thing at the um, at the Olympics as well. And what they did, just 
I don't know why, but I suppose they did it, is they had a robot drill through a wall to pass the Olympic torch for the opening ceremony. I mean, how bizarre is that? Why drill through the wall? I mean, surely they could have just gone around it. But anyway, they wanted to showcase how smart their robots were. And it drilled through a wall and passed the torch completely lit through to the next thing. But now they are, have got something called the Edge of Robot Ski Robot Challenge. So eight robotics teams from research universities, institutes, and some private companies are competing for a $10,000 prize to see which robot could ski down the slopes and race to the finish line the fastest on an obstacle course. So what they did is they've set it up on an 80-meter alpine skiing course. So it's it's really, it's not prepared. It's not um, in any way sort of, you know, canned. It's a real ski course. And what they've done is they've made um, robots in pretty much child-size outfits and skis and uh, ski down the hill. And it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing to watch. Once again, go and look for robots at the Winter Olympics uh, on YouTube. You've got to see it to believe it. But these little headless uh things all on skis with humanoid type bodies all skiing down the hills it's absolutely unbelievable to see and these robots are doing it they're actually going all the way down they they getting to the bottom it's unbelievable what is possible today with robotics and again communication it's it was really quite something to watch so just have a look one of the the clips of skiing robots at Pyeongchang 2018. It's just a bit creepy because it's in an outfit on skis, but there's no head, just some cameras there and the sticks and everything. So <laughs> technology is a wonderful thing, but uh, the future is here and it's skiing downhill all by itself. Now, just something interesting. If, you, if you're if you an iPhone owner, um, as I mentioned a little while ago, um, Apple had a problem with their batteries, had a problem with batteries dying and, sh- and, and throttling down the speed of your, your iPhone in order to stop it from shutting down when batteries were poor. The latest version or beta version of iOS 10.3 or 11.3 now has a switch. You can actually switch that functionality off and it warns you. I've tried it. It warns you clearly that if you do so, should the phone should the battery be worn and the phone require additional current, it will or may shut down. So that's a risk you take. But in I think in the next month or two, they're going to release this update and you'll be able to switch that function off if it bugs you to think that your phone is slowing down for whatever reason. However, what they did around the world, they're offering a $29 up um, upgrade or replacement of your battery. The good thing is that was brought to South Africa and for around about 289 to 325 Rand, depending on your model, you could replace the battery free of charge, no questions asked. So if you've got an iPhone 6 and above, it's more than a year, 18 months old, go and get the battery replaced for mon- moderate money. It'll refresh your device to the fastest it can be and give you better battery life, which never hurts, um, or for very, very, very moderate money and this is an official repair they can't turn you away not the first time they can't say oh your battery's fine come back later if you feel it's not great they'll put a new battery no questions asked but what they've also announced which is very very cool is that there's a little backstory to this interestingly in the u.s Apple have got a machine that can replace the screens on their phones and do a proper job according to, you know, the highest standards when the phone was actually made. Um, that machine was proprietary to only Apple-owned and Apple 
managed stores. Well, they lost a court case, and they now have to supply this machine to any repair company that would want one. I know they've come to South Africa, and now the South African um, authorized Apple reseller, because Apple in South Africa is not part of the Apple Global, even though they're the distributor, they are now offering this exact authorized screen replacement using the latest um, Apple technology directly to all of us. So if you've got an iPhone, your screen you, your screen is broken. There are a lot of places that replace them, but the only ones that do the Apple authorized service um, are the iStores. Um, and DigiCape in the Cape. It's a genuine Apple replacement screen, and I must say the prices are very competitive. For example, a full uh, replacement on iPhone 6S is 2 all the way up to an iPhone X, which is not terribly cheap at 5 But those prices are very competitive, and the benefit is, very simply, that you do not void the warranty if there is one. And also, and I found this out to my horror, if you want to ever trade in your iPhone at an iStore in South Africa and it's been repaired outside of their system or outside of the Apple um, system, you cannot. It will tell you, no, the screen is not genuine or the screen is not authorized or the repair is not right and you cannot trade it in. So by using the <clears throat> the official Apple stores um, or places that offer the official uh, Apple repair, you will be able to trade your phone in all perhaps keep it a little bit longer. So have a look at that. The pricing is competitive. If you need a new screen for any type of iPhone, check out the pricing at the authorized uh, Apple service providers like the iStores and DigiCape, and um, they will uh, be able to do it pretty quickly and using the correct equipment and the correct parts, and you won't void any warranties should there be any, and you also won't have a problem if you ever want to trade the phone in, and certainly it will be built or, or completed to the exact spec that the phone was made. So you can go to their website, you can give them a call, or you can just pop into any store and um, pick up an authorized uh, screen. Now, we are about to go through to Tech Talk Cafe, and I had a fantastic conversation with Jacques Tutoy from a company called Vox. You may have heard of Vox there, a big, well, calling them an ISP is to undersell their services quite considerably. But over the last few years, with the emergence of fiber, they have grown enormously and are a multifaceted company offering tons and tons of services um, around connectivity allied to the the internet. And yet they do a really fine job of fiber to the home, ADSL packages, you name it, they got it. But I recently had a, a conference in uh, near Pretoria um, where they set out their vision of their products and services going forward. And some really fascinating um, insights into where the world of connectivity is going and what ISPs or people such as Vox can do in the next little while. And Jacques de Toy, you know, shared some of that with me. And I think, stay tuned, listen in. I think you'll be fascinated at some of the real world practical examples of how technology, connectivity, and all the various bits and pieces that go with it can actually make a difference in your, your life and mine. Uh, you know, you always hear about cloud, you always hear about IoT, you hear about all these concepts, but here we are talking about real-world benefits, real-world products, real-world services that um, are going to change our lives in the near future. And uh, on that note, we'll be back with Jacques de Toy straight after this break. Kayathan Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. 
Well, good morning and welcome to Tech Talk Cafe right here on High FM. And I'm in the offices, very green offices with fancy cars in the parking lot of Fox <laughs> Telecoms. And I'm with Jacques Dutoy. He's their chief executive officer. And from it appears that he does all sorts of interesting stuff. In fact, there's been talk that he was down a manhole checking out fiber connections recently. So... All sorts of stuff happens at Fox, but welcome to the show, Sharks. And recently you had a conference, and it was really interesting. Unfortunately, I missed your talk, but that's why we're talking today. And at this talk, you set out a sort of your vision of the future of what's happening in communications, and it, it really, really, really is interesting. So give us a little insight into what you think is coming over the next couple of years and how it's going to affect you and I as consumers out there. Right. Thanks, Steve. Well, I'll start by saying I don't think I've ever been more excited about the future than, than where we are today. Uh, if any, at the conference, I actually opened by saying if any ISP today still talks about voice minutes, ISP bundles, um, living speed in the of fiber, the cost of a gig's worth of data, uh, then your days are numbered. I mean, that for me is, is, is given. You've got to be ahead of the pack to survive that game. Um, what is that's a commodity that's game. a commodity. It's a numbers Absolutely. game. It's just the way it is. Yeah. The other day I had a customer say to me, when I phoned him up, I said, listen, I'd like to come and talk to you. But I actually wanted to come and talk to him about IoT solutions. Never mind fiber. He said, Jock, you're very welcome. But please, let's not talk about the cost of a because you will be the seventh guy this week <laughs> that phoned me up. <laughs> so that's how he, he, he kind of welcomed me into the meeting. Stay away from the minutes, g- minutes and, and bundles and gigabit data packages, etc., etc. Wonderful. So what I, what I, how I positioned Vox uh, going forward at the conference um, was we talked about three things. Uh, our, our view and vision about IoT, Internet of Things, um, the world of digitalization and more geared towards uh, 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 e-commerce, very interesting, and then the value of analytics. Now, everybody talks about AI, machine learning, but we, for me, that's kind of a, a very broad statement. AI, AI is yeah. broad. But yeah, everyone's on everybody the AI bandwagon now. So, in all those three fields, we've taken a very specific niche and, and said, let's focus on that niche so we can articulate ourselves better than... And deliver industry. sort of a real-world real world. type and, of And that's impact. what I want to talk about now, yeah. So, Brilliant. So within Vox, we've got a business called Glory and I. It's a CCTV monitoring business. Um, and I think it's it's a boring business, given what I'm going to explain. Well, in yeah, <laughs> I mean, you've got cameras watching nothing for 99.99% of the time. Absolutely. So, so we've invested in software that allows us to analyze that video feed. And basically, and I'm going to explain it in, in, in a practical example, every single mall in South Africa has got video cameras looking down the aisles. But those cameras are there. If a purse gets stolen or somebody gets mugged, we go back in history and we then look at who the, the intruder was and what he looked like, etc., etc. What we do is we take that same footage, run it through our AI platform and give the landlord real valuable analytical data. In so, real time. Real time. So I can take a three-hour video clip, condense it into 53 seconds, right, and then analyze it and say, tell me how many males were there, how many females were there, how many females were there wearing a red jacket, how many cars were there, how many vans were there. So right now, unfortunately, we can't drill down to the make and model of the car, but I can say buses, motorbikes, bicycles, 
cars, panel vans, coming, leaving, going, where's their congestion? And that allows the landlord to make decisions and change to change the behavior of his tenants. This all happens in real time. Real time. Real time. That's really I can take historical data. Um, and we can run that through that same platform and provide him with snapshots. What happened in winter months? What happened in summer? What happens when it rains? So, gone What the, happens on Valentine's Day, what for example? On Valentine's Day. <laughs> um, it's very interesting what we see is um, there's a, men walk down aisles on the left hand side while women walk down on the right hand side. Completely different behavior when there's families. Right. What's the average dwell time in front of a shop? It's very really interesting that some malls have got two outdoor warehouses, as an example. Um, the dwell time on the one on the first floor is different to the one on the second floor. That's really fascinating. So this is all actionable intelligence that, that building owners, business owners can use. So if they've got a great window and suddenly people are stopping there, they'll know. Yep. And if the window's useless and boring and no one stops there, they'll also know that. There might be a queue at the Starbucks at Mall of Africa waiting seven minutes for a cup of coffee. Give the guy a voucher and say, if you're prepared to go to the downstairs Starbucks, um, I'll give you 50 cents off on, your, on, on, on that purchase. So you can real-time start making decisions. Exits. You know, how often when there's a rugby match at a stadium, people tend to go to the wrong exit. Now there's a 15-minute queue to get out. You can actually real-time say, if you go to exit 15, might be two minutes to drive there, and you can manage your your footfall in that way. And this is a platform that you guys have developed and are connect. Can it be connected to existing CCTV surveillance systems? So we didn't develop it. It's in partnership with a a company in Israel. Um, I mean, they lead in the banking They're quite on the ball when it comes (laughs) to... To surveillance and security. Absolutely. But I think the point I'm trying to make is we've taken our traditional CCTV monitoring service and we've added a layer of value to it. It's not just reactive anymore. It's now saying, what do I do with this data? And I think for the first time, I'm comfortable that when we talk about AI, there's true AI. So there is some form of machine learning, smart learning, some some real intelligence behind this. It's not simply a recording of an event. It's actually... Do you set the triggers so we want to know X and then it gives you that information? Actually, uh, yes. That in terms of the analytics. The second part of that solution is about self-learning. So we will point the camera, I would uh, use an example, as as a bus stop. So it will learn that in this specific, specific area, a bus arrives every half an hour. This is what a bus looks like. It's 10 meters in length. Four meters in height, it's got two wheels at the back, one in the front. If suddenly something changes to that norm, um, it, will highlight, it will highlight it and it will send an alert through to an agent. So if a car's there or a bicycle is there um, or that bus is standing still longer than five minutes, so it's all about machine learning. So that's the second phase of, of that software. That is really, really fascinating. And that's something that can be implemented across big business, small business, malls, pretty Retail, much consumer, anywhere. corporate, anywhere. So that's, I think from an ICT, uh, ISP perspective, what we're saying is if you don't evolve and start providing products, features, services like that, your market's going to be cannibalized. Because just selling data or just selling a connection is, is pretty low level yep. in many ways. Yep. As, as the, the mobile networks found out, they don't want to be the plumbing. <laughs> but they're very slow to move. Well, they're big organizations with lots and lots of people. So... I mean, that is a massive combination of both big data, connectivity, machine learning, machine learning all this AI stuff. And do you see that evolving quite quickly going forward? I think the market is far from mature yet. 
But as the market accepts it and starts using it, we will see that evolve even further and further. And, further. and a practical question. I mean, this is a service that you offer. Is it only offered over your own connectivity? No, no. So you can offer it to anybody no matter how they connect Absolutely. to the internet. And it doesn't even need to be real. As I said, you can bring me a, a, a CD or a memory stick with footage CD. on. CD, wow. <laughs> wow. Those old shiny things. In fact, only in Pretoria do I see them on <laughs> rear view mirrors. Give my age away. The other no, that's cool. The next thing I think is yeah. worthwhile mentioning is um, the IoT space, Internet of Things. Everybody is something. About it. Yeah, I, I, it's one of those terms like cloud computing, which does it means everything and means absolutely nothing because everyone's got a definition. And for the average guy who gets up in the morning, goes to work, does his thing, goes home. IoT doesn't have any real application or real meaning yet in South Africa. Now, so you, had some, give it some you, you had some interesting thoughts on that. So what amazed me when I prepared for the, uh, the conference presentation, I did some research. And if you look at the predictions in terms of connected devices, and this shows you how little people actually know and can predict. Got, uh, Intel predicts there will be 220 billion connected devices in 2025. That's round the corner. Gartner predicts 8.5 billion. Now I'm asking myself, how did they, how, how did they how figure this out? How, how can it be so far from each other? The long and the short, and what I'm saying to the people at Vox and to our customers is, doesn't matter what the number is, it's going to be billions, and that is what excites me. And that's not a number that you and I can, or any human being can actually conceive of. It is, I mean, they're not billions of people. Well, they are maybe 7 billion people in the world. But, I mean, yeah, in South Africa... going to have at least 20 connected devices. That, that's a big deal. I mean, my own home went from a couple, and the average home went from one to four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I mean, when you've got... Well, we won't talk about that. But when you've got four high-definition TV streaming all at the same time in one home, you know you've got trouble. So we, We've done a survey. The average household with four people, two youngsters, two adults... And I'm not talking the outliers, you and me and yeah, the no. tech people. The average guy has got 12 connected devices in a home of four people. Today? Today. And that's an absolute and fact. That's really amazing. You know, when you sit down with them and you say, um, do you have show mats? Yes, that connects to the internet. Do you have a hi-fi that streams? Yes, that's connected. Your TV, how many television sets? Do you have an iPad, iPhone, Apple Watch? Then the guy goes, oh, yeah, I never realized that. You get to the number of 12 like this. Instantly. Instantly. That's really but fascinating. But let's go back to the, anyway, the world of, of let's IoT. Let's talk about IoT so and I what that means. Maybe if I can talk to IoT from a consumer perspective, um, there's talk that washing machines, dishwashers, tumble dryers, you won't own them into the future. You will be pay per washing wash. Washing as a service. Washing as a service. So you'll go into Macro, you'll pick up your Samsung washing machine, you'll get delivered, installed, and they will bill you and deduct off your credit card every time there's a wash, <laughs> which is phenomenal. But why does it... It works for me because if, if, if I do a lot of washing, I'll pay a lot of money. I'm not responsible for the maintenance. I buy a washing service, which is actually... Which comes with a machine, which you stick in the they laundry. They send out the mechanic to come and repair it, the technician. They update the software. They replace the seals. I mean, it's but that, that means that that washing machine, along with your tumble dryer, along with everything else you have, has an internet connection. Absolutely. But there's an I, it's either it's an IoT device in that washing machine. So that's one from a consumer perspective, one area. The more exciting thing I want to, to run past you is that every car manufactured after 2002 comes with a, a, a device called an OBT, onboard data diagnostic port. 
So you can connect uh, OBD reading there. There's over 200 different uh, uh, measurements coming off that OBD. And what we're trying to do is to disrupt the insurance and the car rental and the car service market. And I'll give you three high-level examples. I disagree with the fact that young people should pay higher premiums than old people. Because I know of some youngsters that drive much better than my grandfather. But that's how the insurance companies treat us these they days. Work they work on statistics. Maybe they need some big data and AI themselves. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so that OBD can very easily give us load on the engine. So how hard am I driving? Cornering, braking, acceleration, where am I? But some insurance companies are starting to use those <clears throat> So Discovery started with that. Yeah. They, they did start with that. But they still calculate your premium at the end of the month. Why can't you calculate the premium on a daily basis or on a per-trip basis to say, for the last 100 kilometers, you drive like a real idiot, we're going to load your premium by 200%. And then, then you actually, it's, it's a risk and reward basis. If I drive well, if I'm, if I'm out staying outside... This is a nightmare scenario you're presenting here. No, really? But, so but if I, I go for a quick, fast drive, suddenly I get hit with a big insurance bill. Absolutely. <laughs> but why not? And if you look after your car, you get... So that's one of the things that we're going to collect out of the, that OBD and pass on to the insurance companies. And that's definitely an IoT type. Definitely. Setup. It's about geofencing, taking information from the engine, from the car's behavior, and pushing that through to the insurance company. The next one um, that we're looking at that's pretty interesting is the uh, uh, re- rental companies. Today you go to Hertz, they say, here's your Toyota Corolla, 900 Rand for the day. Now, I'm saying let's change it. When you, take your, when you go and pick up your car, they say your rental, your charge will vary between 400 Rand and 1,500, depending on your driver behavior, where you go to, and it will only be calculated when you return the vehicle. So, Voxen collects data, we put it in a central deposit suppository, and once the car enters this geofenced area of the airport, as an example, we pass that file on. They do a calculation. They say, Steve, your rental for the day was four ninety nine. Really good guy. You actually didn't use the car much. It's only two hundred and fifty bucks. Correct. Why? Why is that impossible to do? So, so in other words, what you're talking about is making every service smarter. Correct. And, but you've got to have a connected device to do it. It's got to measure behavior, where you are, etc. And then the last one um, that we're talking to, to from an OBD perspective is car, uh, car dealerships. So there's no way for any, any car dealership to know when your brake light, as an example, is fused. What would be nicer to get a phone call to say, we've picked up from the OBD diagnostics that your brake light is out, it's unsafe, we know based on your geolocation, your geofence, that you're in the Melrose Arch, the Toyota dealership has got a bulb in place, in stock, it's got a, 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 a technician ready, please pop by when you're on your way to the office and replace it. That's the different See, level yeah, of that, service. That, that is an unbelievable idea, to make service and support in a way proactive. In other words, you get the phone call, listen, Mr. Ambrose, we've noticed uh, your clutch is doing funny things, your car is jumping up and down, please come and see us, rather than I get stuck on the N1 halfway to Pretoria or something like that. And, and you see that as a huge growth area, even in a country like South Africa. Absolutely. So, so we're going to, Vox can't be everything to everybody. We're going to focus on, on three or four different niches, uh, metering, asset tracking, OBD, that kind of, of, of play. And um, yeah, as I said, we can't be everything for everybody. And that will launch in April this year. That's very, very interesting. And have you obviously got a couple of the car manufacturers on board to start looking at these sort of 
uh, things. The other thing that obviously predicates that the car itself needs to have some form of connectivity. And not all cars have got that at this any, point in time. Every car manufactured after 2002 will have that port. Has got the port, but not the... And IoT, right now, our IoT connectivity partner is Sigfox through Squidnet. And they've got an 81% population coverage um, currently in South Africa. On motor vehicles? Network coverage. Oh, network coverage. coverage. So we install that OBD okay, device. Okay, so you get this little device, plug it into the port, and start sharing information. Correct. And will this be driven as a service by you guys or by the Toyota guys or BM guys or someone else? Who? Would, how would I get involved in that? So you as a consumer, hopefully if you insure with Santam Auto in general, they will say, Steve, if you install this device, we'll pay for it. But if you allow us to install it in your car, collect the data, and calculate your premium on a daily basis, that w- this will be the Oh, impact. I see. So in many ways, what you're saying is that this is going to be a, a complete Reverse, reversal absolutely. of how we currently absolutely. drive, insure, service. And then Rent you'll add car, these various yeah. layers onto Correct. it. And I guess the winners in this space will be the early adopters. So if Hertz subscribes to this concept before Avis, they're going to gain market share. Or sometime before Auto in General, etc., etc. Because would there actually be a, a reduction in cost? Because we all, I it mean, insurance be. is a grudge purchase. Yeah. Everyone yeah. has to have it, and you pay it for that one incident when things happen. I really hope it will result to that. I mean, I can't dictate, uh, or Vox can't dictate what the insurance company must charge the consumer. But if this gives them better real-time analytics of what's happening, they're reducing their claims by allowing you to participate in your insurance premium, your claim rate, etc., it must reduce. That's very, very, very interesting. And I then want to talk about one more, more thing that we spoke about at the, uh, at the conference, um, and that's like kind of the, the last part of the puzzle in terms of the next year for Vox, and that's our e-commerce platform. And again, I'll use that, in, in, I'll explain it by means of, of, a, of a real example. Today, all ISPs have got some play in OTT over the top. Some, some so that's offer, some form of service that runs some, over the data network. Correct. Be it a, a, a digital media delivery, be it a voice delivery, etc., etc. So we offer Showmax, we offer Netflix, uh, we offer Quasi. Uh, that for me is boring. But what no one is offering right now is imagine you watching a Rambo movie on a Sunday afternoon and while Rambo's having a fight in the kitchen, you see a little uh, snow. <laughs> <this> <laughs> going. <laughs> I'm not so sure I've been on this one, but anyway, let's carry on. You see the, the, the refrigerator there in the back yeah. glow up. You can stop the movie. You can actually take your remote, click on it, and it will tell you that Vox, in association with Macro, Dion Wired, Hershey's, have got this exact fridge available at 17,000 Rand. Would you like it delivered? You go click <laughs> yes and. Charges your credit charges card. Your credit card finish watching your movie. Absolutely. And you're laughing about that, but um, we came across this business partner in Portugal called Ubuy TV. And they've got 50,000 customers currently on the service. So it's still in beta phase, um, but 50,000 is not a sample number. No, no, that's, that's a business. That's a business. And I believe that that's where Vox will end up, will end up providing that end-to-end e-commerce platform. You've and that will be pretty seamless. You, you, you're streaming over fiber, your system's intelligently watching what's going on, and then they overlay this shopping ability Correct. into everything you do. Correct. 
you can buy a car, you can buy the fridge, you can buy the watch that someone is wearing, the scarf. It, but one where I'm not 100% clear yet is you can't overload the customer with, with too much. Too much. So you've got to give him the ability to say, listen, I'm, I'm in the market for a fridge. Whenever there's a fridge coming up in the next 24 hours on any of the movies or series that I watch, please give me the option to buy it. And I think that's the part we still need to, to figure out. But for me, that's how ISPs will differentiate themselves. And if you don't play in the space... That is just a fascinating thing. Who would have thought that an ISP would be in charge of that level of integration? Because there's multiple systems. There's e-commerce, there's payment gateways, there's the intelligence to try to understand what's going on in a movie. But how would that work in a country like South Africa where most of our products are not international. So for example, we watch mostly streamed American stuff and all the products and services there and the shirts and everything come from retailers or serve or providers not in this country. Will that well, be uh, if you think of it, an interesting um, one? No, it, it, will, it will force us to be very much more picky in terms of what we, we offer our customers. But if you think of white goods, electronic goods, that's international. Uh, absolutely. Samsung, Hisense, LG, um, uh, luxury goods, watches. Seiko, Rolex, that's international. And no doubt, everyone talking on their cell phones, <laughs> certainly very. <laughs> yeah, so I think there'll, there'll be choice, maybe not as much choice, but there'll definitely be choice. Fair point. And I'm afraid, can you believe 20 minutes has come it's and amazing. gone? It just flies when you're having fun with the IoT, as they say. But thank you so much, Jacques. That was fascinating. I'm sure we're going to keep an eye on all your, your stuff and watch you invade my data connection <laughs> in, in quite a significant way, it seems. You'll be talking to my insurance company, my fridge company. What else? That's scary, this big daddy Vox is watching. So Thank thanks for joining much. us on the show, and um, we'll chat again soon to find out how all this stuff is panning out. Thank you. Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose, 11 to 12 p.m., only on 101.9 IFM. Well, welcome back. And uh, as I said, fascinating discussion talking about real-world stuff that this IoT and big data and cloud and connectivity is facilitating. And there's no question that uh, the sheer uh, reach of the Internet into your homes, into your lives, is just going to continue growing and more and more. I mean, there are numbers floating around, as Jacques said. They're talking billions upon billions of connections. And if you've got 12 at the moment in an average home, give it a year or two and they'll be 25, 30, 40 connected devices or connected things or you name it, it'll all be connecting via some form of hub, via some form of connection over your fiber, over your fixed wireless LTE, you name it, it'll be connecting to somewhere, sending information to various people. And the whole concept of things as a service, you know, everyone realize you've got used to it every time you use an Uber, that is transport as a service. Um, every time you use Uber food, that's food as a service. You know, there's so many ways you can buy. Every time you use Gmail, for example, that's email as a service. You don't own any infrastructure. You don't have to do any software on your computer. You just log onto your browser, connect to the service, and send and receive email. So everything as a service is definitely a trend that you're going to watch and we're going to see it grow over the next little while. And um, the idea of insurance as a service, car hire, hire as a service, and all of this facilitated through technology is definitely something that's going to be 
quite something to watch. So there's business opportunity for those of you who are thinking of getting into something. And for the rest of us who just wants to try to work their life in a way that you pay for what you do, you pay for what you use, it starts offering fascinating possibilities for organizing your life. A lot of people in many cities around the world do not own cars. They don't need to own cars. One is a very comprehensive, top-notch you know, uh, public transport system. But by the same token, when they do need private transport, there are lots of ways to get it when you need it. You don't have to worry about garaging. You don't have to worry about insurance. You don't have to worry about service and maintenance. You just use it when you need it. You pay for what you need and you move on. So stay tuned. I think we've got some really fascinating stuff coming from all fronts with regard to this. And it's all sort of facilitated by communication, high-speed data, 5G, you name it, fiber. We really are moving into a a connected high-speed world. And talking of connected high-speed worlds, my gadget of the week this week is a fabulous new laptop that I've been playing with for the last few days. And it's from a company called Asus. Now, Asus in many ways, uh, people consider them the Apple of the East. Um, it's a Taiwanese company. It's a company that's been around in South Africa and globally for quite a while now. It's not been the most high-profile company, but I've been to Taiwan more than once. I've been to their press conferences a few times, and they are a fascinating company. Their CEO's name is Jimmy, and he's quite happy to explain how brilliant all his products are. It's an absolute screech to watch him on stage. He's really a character. But you can see it in all the products they make. They are extremely, extremely well-built. They have a sort of finish and an edge that truly some people might call it derivative. Other people might just simply say they're ripping people off, such as Apple. But the fact is their quality, their finish, their thought, and their care that goes into their products is pretty exceptional. And for a long time now, their their notebook range has certainly been quietly gaining market share across the world and certainly in South Africa. And one of their latest models, they've got a whole range from very inexpensive to completely obscenely expensive um, laptops in their ROG Republic of Gamer series, which you can spend a hundred grand on if you're very keen. In fact, I think you can even go higher than that, depending on the specs. But the Asus ZenBook range is certainly one to look out for. So if you're in the market for a super light, ultra high tech, beautifully designed, well built uh, laptop with all the bells and whistles. The new ZenBook 3, uh, which has been launched fairly recently by Asus, is really one to look at. It uses the latest um, Intel Core i7 or i5 processor, um, the eighth generation. The benefit of the eighth generation, which just came out in the last couple of months, is that you've got anything between 12 and 20 hours of battery life, along with a really advanced um, video subsystem, which is brilliant. And um, this particular model comes in some really interesting covers, colors. It comes in a blue, sort of a, a midnighty blue, and a bronzy color, none of the black and gray of normal laptops. It's also a 14-inch screen, which is generally a little bit bigger than everyone else in the market, yet the laptop itself is ultralight, around about a kilo, 
super, super slim, as thin as anything else that I've played with. And I'm being waved to while I'm getting all excited about my new ZenBook Pro 3 here. We have a quick ad break. I'll be back to wrap up the review of the ZenBook straight after that and then tell you how can you how you can use your smartphone to operate your Samsung or your LG TV. Hi, FM Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Well, welcome back. And let me wrap up my quick review of this new ZenBook 3. It's available in in, in a number of different models, obviously different hard drive. It uses a a solid-state drive, the latest version, the M.2, as they call it, which is super, super, super fast. As I said, it's a full HD 14-inch screen with Gorilla Glass 4 covering, so it's it's pretty scratch-resistant. This particular model doesn't have a touchscreen, but it has an excellent touchpad, which I must say works really well. It's got a built-in fingerprint reader, which, for you security-conscious people, is quite a cool idea. And generally, it looks a little bit like uh, a MacBook Air, but it has a completely different finish. It has a sort of swirling aluminium finish which is really attractive it looks pretty rigid it's made of ti- of not titanium it's an aluminium alloy wish it was titanium that would be really tough but it's an aluminium alloy which it looks tough i've been using it for all sorts of things it hasn't scratched very nice backlit keyboard and overall i must admit this is an extremely competitive laptop it sells for somewhere between 23 and 30000 rand which again is excellent value for money considering the the competition in this market it runs the latest version of windows 10 so if you're looking for a macbook style computer something that's super slim super light um, all the latest technology in terms of memory, in terms of hard drive, in terms of screen, um, and all that sort of you know tech information, then this is definitely one to put on your shortlist. Apparently, they're available pretty much everywhere that you can buy computers. So look out for the new Asus th- ZenBook 3. Um, there are, as I say, a number of models. Generally, if you're doing really heavy spreadsheet work, a Core i7 makes a lot of sense. If you're doing a little bit less, more word processing, web browsing, emailing, that sort of stuff, you're looking at a Core i5 will more than adequately uh, meet your needs. But overall, amazing battery life. One thing I must mention, the battery can charge to 80% or 60% in around about 50 minutes. It really is quick. In fact, this morning, I went to get it for the show. It was dead flat, had 0% battery, plugged it in. Less than an hour, had 89%. Uh, battery life and off I came and in fact that's the one I'm using to do the show from so keep an eye out really great uh, product well built good service good support and I think a, a really competitive product to everything else out there so if you haven't looked at Asus in the past I think now's the time to have a little look-see and I think you might be quite impressed at how slim sleek and capable this new uh, ZenBook the Asus ZenBook 3 actually is. Now, moving on to something that I've been playing with over the last little while, the remotes are always a problem. You get into your lounge, you cannot find your TV remote. It's somewhere, and it somehow got stuck in the couch, and you can't find it. But of late, I've been using my smartphone. Now, more and more uh, TVs are smart TVs. They come connected. You connect them up to the Wi-Fi or the Internet in your home. You do all your streaming directly to the TV. And why shouldn't you then download on your iPhone or your Android phone the various apps? So if you've got a Samsung or an LG TV, both companies make very, very nice apps that you can use. So go and have a search 
It's just really easy. Look for LG TV on the various app stores um, or Samsung TV on the various app stores. You'll find them. Look for the ones. There are numerous others. So you've got to be a little bit careful sometimes. But look for the ones that are manufactured by LG Corp or Samsung Corp. Download them. Install them. It's really simple. If you're on, you've got to be on the same Wi-Fi network. You can't uh, do it in any other way. Um, Your TV has to be on. Download the app. Install, it should find your TV, and then you get full functionality of your TV. The other use of that, which I absolutely love, is when the kids are busy playing with the TVs um, and I want to switch them off or change channel, I just haul out my cell phone and uh, cause all manner of havoc in the the TV room. So on that note, um, you go control your TVs with your smartphone. I'll be back next week with a pre-recorded show. Unfortunately, I'm out of town for the day. Uh, getting ready for Mobile World Congress in Barcelona for the following week. And um, until then, this is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk right here on High FM.